Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. You're listening to the Shitlucks Podcast, your guide to a more stylish life. Welcome to today's Shitlucks Success Stories with me, Charlotte Collins. This week, I'm joined by Sam McKnight. Sam, you've got, you've got some letters after your name that aren't in my intro. What are you officially? Oh, I do. I'm officially uh, an MBE. I'm joined by Sam McKnight, MBE. <laughs> Sam's hairstyling career has spanned four decades, encompassing everything from catwalk to editorial and advertising campaigns with fashion houses like Chanel, Fendi, Burberry and Tom Ford, as well as collaborating with some of the world's most prominent photographers like Patrick de Marchelier, Mario Testino and Nick Knight. He was also a longtime stylist for the late Princess Diana, not to mention the creative mastermind behind her iconic short slicked back hairstyle featured on the 1990 cover shoot for British Vogue. Today, Sam is an author, brand owner and passionate gardener alongside his still full-time styling work. And he joins me to talk about his incredible life and career. Sam is, God, that's a lot to live up to. Welcome. I mean, it's oh, all, I just said to you, it's always quite painful to have to, <laughs> it's painful to read, it's painful to listen to. So, um, Apologies, but that's quite a CV. It's all right, and I'm still going, I'm still going. We're not done yet. Plugging away. We're not done yet. Um, can you start a bit at the beginning? How did you, why hairdressing, how did you get into it? I'm going to try and cut this very long story short, which I'm not very good at, mm-hmm. so you may, you may have to stop me. Um, I'm from a very working class coal mining village mm. in Scotland. I was brought up in a council estate in the country, which is actually kind of idyllic. It was amazing in the 60s and 70s. We were outside all the time. We didn't know we were poor because that's all we knew, but that was fine. And when I became a teenager, I was kind of, I did really well in school. Um, I was always first or second in the class. And so the obvious thing was to go to further education. And I went to teacher's training college and I, I really didn't like it. I, I just, I, what am I doing? This is not creative. And I didn't really show much creativity with art or anything at school, but I was really good at languages. So they thought they'd have me teaching kids and maybe going on to specialise in French, but then I kind of realised I was learning school French. I wasn't really learning French. It was kind of just regurgitating. I thought, what am I doing? And at the same, simultaneously, um, I was really into... Uh, music and fashion, David Bowie, T-Rex, you know, platform shoes, permed hair, all the stuff that teenagers in this country just worship, really, you know, and, and, and all the different tribes. And I changed my hair every two minutes. Anyway, um, I had already to get myself, because my parents had no money, so to get myself um, through college and to kind of be able to buy clothes or whatever, I needed to work. So I had a great great work ethic. I was a window cleaner for a couple of years. I worked in a sock factory. I worked in a jeans factory. And then to get me through the second year of college, I had some friends who owned a restaurant, a disco, and a hairdressing salon, a couple of hairdressing salons. I 
tried a bit of DJing, a bit of waitering, and then found myself helping them out on a Saturday morning in the hairdressing salon. And suddenly I was in this world of glamour, which I'd never really experienced before. And um, and this sort of really sort of creative environment, because there's not many working places much more creative than a hairdressing salon. And it's full of amazing, crazy, amazing, wonderful people. So I was hooked. Then a while later, I think I went to, I went to London on holiday in 1973, and it was in the midst of the, the, the depression and the three-day working week, and London felt this, like, this amazing hotbed of amazing shops, wonderful-looking people, um, kind of... It, the wonderful looking people were probably few and far between because the rest of the the rest of the place was just in a severe <laughs> depression. But when you're young, I was looking for the bright lights. Mm-hmm. So cut to a few years later, I moved to London and had a few jobs, worked in Miss Selfridge hairdressing salon, which I loved. It was amazing on Regent Street. And then I started to look at Vogue magazine and the people who were doing the hair for Vogue magazine mostly at that time were from a salon called Moulton Brown because back in the day, there wasn't really a big thing of hair and makeup people from agencies on shoots. Hairdressers came from salons. And the salon was called Molten Brown, which... The, the Molten Brown we know today. The Molten Brown yep. we know today. Uh, and I blagged my way into a job there in 1977. And it was just, it was the most incredible place to work. Everyone who's anyone had their hair done there. And I got sent on a photo shoot to Vogue magazine in about 77, I think, and was absolutely terrified. And there began my long and lustrous career. And here we are today. (laughs) The pinnacle. Um, How, what do you think it was in you that, you know, the the kind of the call to glamour doesn't sound like a natural fit for your background and your upbringing. Where do you think that came from? Was that, was your mother buying magazines? Where, where was that interest no, in? No, I remember from- in our school library, um, there were some Vogue magazines and I remember kind of loving the photography in them mm. by Norma Parkinson, David Bailey. And I, re- I remember those names, so I must have looked at the tiny little mm. credit. And... Um, and if you're kind of interested in music, you kind of start wondering who mm. took the picture on that album cover yeah. and all that. So I'd always had an interest in that. And then in Molten Brown, of course, there was always, you were surrounded by Vogue magazine. Mm. And the, those guys were at the top of their game mm. doing every cover and every shoot. So I kind of learned a lot from them. And as soon as I went on that first photo shoot, I got the bug. I absolutely was. I was thrown in at the deep end mm. and completely um, was addicted, mm. I guess, and still am. Who was that shoot? Do you remember it? The shoot was a photographer called Eric Bowman, who was an amazing photographer uh, who sadly passed away last year. And um, it was a it was an underwear shoot. And the model was called Amy. I remember it well. Mm. I mean, I know I have the picture at home still. Mm. I've got the issue at home still. Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, what happened then? Uh, well, I, I must have done something right at Vogue because they kept booking me and mm. I kept going back. And you're doing small little shoots for mm. them. And then I met Anna Harvey, who was a fashion editor there, and Liz Barris, who was another fashion editor, and Grace Coddington. Mm. And Anna and Liz really kind of 
mentored me really because Anna went on to become Princess Diana's stylist and um, Liz became editor-in-chief of British Vogue and then went on to do Bazaar in, in the US and both iconic, wonderful, amazing um, editors, no longer with us, sadly, both of them. And um, so I just, you know, you kind of go on these things and you click with people and you either get along with each other or you don't mm. and it's fine. But I seem to get along with those guys. But the thing is back then there is this big world called the fashion fashion and beauty world you know that didn't exist mm. it really didn't exist it's hard for people to understand that but a fashion show was maybe for 100 150 people that was a big one 150 mm. people i would have i remember my first show we did a show for the emmanuels in the late 70s and i think i had two there was three hairdressers mm. and sort of eight or nine models wow. And I think the girls did their own makeup, mm. and it was um, it was tiny. And mm. and I I remember the audience wasn't like it is now. It was it was closed shop. There were trade shows, and people weren't allowed to take pictures. They sometimes weren't even allowed to sketch. So it was top secret till six months later when the clothes were available. Mm. So it was a very 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 different landscape and i absolutely loved it it I sounds loved so it. much nicer than what we have now it was different it you know it, it, it was yeah. different it mm. was it, it i don't know you can't really i don't want to be that person who goes oh it was better mm. in the old days. Mm. some things were better and some things really weren't sure. you sure. know that it's it's a yeah like it's the balancing act isn't it what what was the hair like those of us who weren't around in the 70s the 80s have a vision you know an image of what that hair looked like but what were the kind of jobs you were doing what did it look like well I went on to do jobs for Honey magazine which was a really popular popular um check it out on eBay because mm. they're yeah, it's amazing it, yeah. um Honey magazine was a really popular magazine in the um in the 70s and 80s, um, I worked a lot for them, which is a bit younger than Vogue. Mm. We did, I did, a, I think my first major cover was actually Harper's, Harper's and Queen, as it was mm -hmm. then. Um, Tatler magazine. It was the same as it is now. You were just creating beautiful images. Mm. So whatever was needed for that image um, would be the look of the day. And But then you quite often made it up okay. in the morning. Mm which is kind of, that's where I come from and that's kind of what I still mm. like to do. Please throw all your mood boards away. I'm not <laughs> interested. Just mm. give me a reference and I'll take it somewhere. I don't want to see a thousand pictures on a mood board mm. because we never had mood boards. We never had any inspiration. We had clothes, hairdresser and a makeup artist mm. and an editor who put it together and a photographer who made it work <laughs> and we made it up as we went along. And I think that's kind of what I miss, the spontaneity, mm. you know, because mm. everything seems to about the algorithm now doesn't it that yeah. that big old that algorithm thing, thing. Yeah. yeah 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 and i think sometimes you can lose you can lose by losing the spontaneity you kind of lose the beauty in something so mm. you lose the moment because mm. fashion photography or any kind of photography i think is it's often about the moment mm. we're not shooting cars we're shooting people mm. and people have people the, the relationship between the subject and the photographer and the team is quite intimate. Mm. And I think when there's too much going on, you lose that. Mm. Your skill set, I suppose, is what I what I want to ask about. Your that that sounds like quite a short timeline to me. You know, you went to Morton Brown, you got these jobs, you were on magazine shoots. Do you look back now and think, 
wow, I had really honed my craft quickly. Do you look back now and think, God, I've come such a long way since there? The actual hairdressing of it, mm. I'm interested in. Um, well, I mean, the beginning, as usual, I was making it up as, as, as I went along. Did it feel doing, like that? Yeah, mm. it did. But it still does a bit. But, mm. but I love that. I, mm. I, I respond very well to that, mm -hmm. you know. I, I work on that kind of collaboration mm. between makeup and hair, and I, I love coming up with an idea on the hoof. Mm. Um, and I, I think, I mean, I was obviously, there, there, there's a great, great truth in the cliche of right time, right place. I mean, those things are cliches because mm. they're true. Um, right time, right place. I was there at the right time, right place. Early 80s, so 77 till 80, I worked in Moulton Brown. 80 till 82, I honed my craft and and kind of really kind of went out there and put myself in situations that were so out of my comfort zone, which is really the only way you can do it, in at the deep end. And then in 82, I decided to go and live in New York because New York was, there was a much bigger industry in New York. It was a very small industry mm. in the UK. New York was the big pond. So I took the plunge, got myself an agent in New York, who, who I'm still with to this day, <laughs> 40 years later, mm. 41 years later. And um, we, um, I, one of my first jobs was for US Vogue and, and then therein built another relationship. And I think, you know, I got to New York, I was working with people like Irving Penn and Horse P. Horst and all those sort of classic photographers. Mm. And I think if I knew then if what I knew now, I probably wouldn't wouldn't have gone to work that day, you know. But but when you when you're so you have that sort of bravery, that sort of naivety, mm. you just yeah, whatever, just I'll do that. And and that's what it takes, but in nerve, doesn't it, really? And um there's a few photographers I work with that I just wasn't good enough for, and I know that. And um then didn't see them for a couple of years and then went back. <laughs> mm. But I didn't let it put me off. It's mm. like you just, you, you know, you, 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 you plough on, mm. don't you? you know? I love doing what I was doing and I love creating images. And you, you find you find your teams that you work with really well. Yeah, you know? that makes sense. This I feel like this will be a nice companion piece to the supermodels on Apple TV. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, it's a really good series that's out there now about the supermodels. Um, and, I mean, can you paint a picture about what that life was like, what set life was like. Like, I, I suppose you're, you're reminding me of that documentary because it's so, as you say, it's so different to how it is now, but equally it's, it, did it always feel then like you were on the precipice of this big boom, this big explosion, this super exciting thing, because no. looking retrospectively, that's what it was. No, no it didn't feel really? like that at all. Because, so let's say 82, mm. I, I saw all the girls when they were in London, we all had dinner and it was probably the first time we'd been in the same room for nigh on 30 years mm. altogether. And I with the girls and Mary Greenwell and myself. Mm. And, oh, my God, it was such a joy. And we were kind of talking because we all kind of met each other 84. Mm -hmm. You know, it was early on. In New York, presumably. In New York, yeah. yeah. Um, 84, these young teenage girls would come on ghosties. I met, I met Naomi in 85, and I can remember exactly when I met Naomi she came on a go-see with Martin Brading, who is in the documentary. Mm. Uh, we were working at the Albert Monument in Hyde Park and she got off the bus and I said, my mum don't know I'm modelling, I'm <laughs> supposed to be here. And she was amazing at 15. So um, we all go back that far before. There There had been a supermodel era before, which was um, Patty Hansen, Janice Dickinson. There were a lot of amazing amazing 
kind of all American girls who had come before. Mm-hmm. So the, the 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 path had been sort of paved yep. in a way, and. But there weren't so many outlets, there weren't so many magazines, but you had to face an ID and a kind of Vogue really expanded. So so there was a kind of there was a moment, but it's never a moment, is it? It's always it's always mm. over the course of time mm. when when everything was building. But these girls were teenagers, they'd come, we'd dress them up, you know, like 30-year-olds and <laughs> do a Vogue cover try. And that went on for a few years and and till, you know. Over a couple of years, two or three years, they became, you know, the five girls that were on the cover of every magazine. And I, I see online people saying, oh, why is Claudia and Helena and Karen not? That was a few years later. Mm, that wasn't, it crew. wasn't at that time. It was a few years later, a couple of years later. So I have all these memories of these kids. I mm. mean, I was a little bit older. I was 10 years older than them, but we were all kind of, Growing up together and having lots of fun. I don't know if you have you ever been on a film set or a no. or, a, or a kind of big photo shoot. Set. No, no, not at that scale. It ain't glamorous. I'm sure it's it's kind of you know it's mm. it's a working studio. Yeah, very very much so, and there's a lot of work to mm. do. The only glamorous bit is the illusion that we create <laughs> on that set. That's right. You know the, mm. the bit that's lit and and it all appears very glamorous, but yeah. I mean, glamorous doesn't glamour doesn't really exist. Mm. It kind of exists in a a it, it's in our imagination, right? Smoke and mirrors, right? It, it's a bit like that, and I I don't I don't think that's a bad thing. I think I think it was always we were always creating images that were aspirational, and and kind of the, the, these kind of larger than life images of people that you could never be but you could maybe imagine having a little part mm. of. And I think that's that was the appeal, you know. Do you think that's still the appeal of editorial? I don't know. I'm not sure it is. I, I, I think people almost want to see a reflection of themselves mm. now. That It feels like that mm. now. So I wonder I wonder if that's, that has kind of morphed into, I mean, we're in a strange place now where, if you do anything out of the ordinary, you're vilified for it. If you stick your head above mm. the parapet, which is kind of sad, really, mm, you know. It is. And and everyone wanted to look the same. Where I'm from a time where, I mean, we talk about diversity now, but those five supermodels couldn't have been more different. Mm. You know, they could not have been more different. Mm. Um, so I, don't, I, I feel sometimes we go around in circles. Well, life is always about circles, isn't it? So um, it's always a journey, isn't it? Mm. I wonder also if they're because of a lack of internet, social media, there was more of an us and them, whereas now that fourth wall has come down. It's gone. So, it's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally the genie's out of the bottle. Yeah, it went out. And also, so they didn't really speak mm. until Cindy got her MTV show. Yep. And then that that opened everything really wide to the public mm. when, when suddenly they were kind of, um, oh, they have a voice. They're not just silent movie stars. Mm. Um, so, oh, I don't know. Um, I, I, I think, I think... You know, I'm not going to be that person. Those, you know, it was better than the oldest. It was just different. Yeah, it was different, and, and times are very different. Mm. I mean, I, I I worked this week with Giselle mm. for the first time in ages. Mm. Now Giselle was 20 years after those girls, and Giselle was just she's absolutely incredible. You know, Super. and when it doesn't matter when they're from, mm. but those models or celebrities who hone their craft love 
creating an image. I mean, Giselle will get on set and say, no, that light has to go. Most of them, mm. they know where the light is and they're nice, great people. And so the, so the whole thing has a flow. Mm. And I think all those models who just want to create that incredible image and do a great job are kind of timeless, mm. you know. They could all be working until they're 90. They can all come from different eras. Um, it's just that celebrity overtook the supermodel era, mm. so there's not the same... Mystique, right? There's not the same mystique, mm. no, no. Mm. That makes sense. Do you have a memory from those years, from the 80s, that stands out as a I've made it moment? Was there Was there ever for you personally this like, oh, shit, I'm here, this is real, like, this is the big leagues? Um, no, I don't think so. It just felt like your collaborators. And- yeah, mm. it just all felt very normal when you're, when you're <laughs> in it. Yeah. You, it, I, there was one moment when I was going through the airport in Miami. Now, when we were living in New York, we, we'd been in Miami every weekend shooting a story for some magazine mm. or other. And um, I remember it was Claudia Schiffer. It would have been in the 90s. And Claudia still had the, you know, the... The fashion drag on mm. from the shoot was we're going back to New York. She had this sort of big blonde hair. And, and I remember people, the heads turning and people knew her name. That, But that was later. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, this is, this is, this has gone really big, mm. this thing. You know, it's mm. not just people looking at Vogue who, who, who can see that there's this sort of, you know, regular people coming up and say, oh, that's Claudia Schiff. And, mm. and you think, wow. And that's that's when I kind of really realised the power of that, you know. Mm. That was quite extraordinary. The eyeballs. Yeah. 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 So that's the 80s. What happened next? We've got to get, we mentioned in the intro, 1990, Princess Diana cover. How did that come about? Uh, that came about again through Vogue magazine. Mm. Um, Patrick de Marchelier was shooting, he had shot Princess Diana with the, with the children and they wanted to do a, a, a shoot for Vogue with some of the young royals. And at the end of the day, um, but they said, oh, we've got one more person to do it. I remember I, I was never, I wasn't really that aware of the royals because I was traveling all over the world. Mm. And I think we were in London for one day because we were going to Paris to show the collections the next day. And it was in July, it was really hot. And this sort of tall, leggy blonde comes bouncing up the stairs in it was Perseverance Works in Hackney, so it was a very unglamorous um, <laughs> neck of the woods. Um, and, um, yeah, and it, so it was Princess Diana. Mm. She stuck her hand down and completely charmed us straight away like she, like only she could. Mm. She was one of those people who she just had a connection. You had to connect with people. So mm. we were all totally, oh, well, she was great. And uh, we did a portrait. It's the famous one of her on the floor with a... Uh, she has a white satin strapless dress on and she's big smile. I have it now as a fridge magnet. That's when you know you've made it when your work is on a fridge there magnet. There you go. There you go. Uh, noted. There yeah. you go. I'll remember that. <laughs> um, and after the shoot, I made her hair look short for the shoot because she had mm. sort of big fluffy hair, which now looking back looks great. Um, I made it appear shorter for the shoot because we were 1990 here. So we were going in out of the through through 80s into a much sleeker, mm-hmm. more power, uh, more sort of minimal, mm. um, I mean business era. Yeah. And um, Linda had the short hair and it suddenly became a sign of the times, I mm. guess. It became very 
different from the decade that had gone before. And so she said, she asked me what I would do with her hair if she said do anything. And I said, well, I would just cut it all off and start again and kind of, you know, just go. So we did it there and then. <laughs> and, uh, and then I went off to Paris. And then the next day, the, the British press went absolutely <laughs> bizarre. And I had no idea of, of the power mm. of that. I thought, God, maybe if I'd known that, I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> um, but then, and, and then when I came back to London, she asked me if I'd go to, I, I don't remember, we went to Pakistan or somewhere. It was one of our first trips mm. abroad. And where we went for the first one. Anyway, I spent the next seven years traveling with her mm. and doing her hair as much as I could. So I managed to juggle that and my fashion career at the same time. That was probably the seven craziest years of my life. I'm sure. Um, it's hard to, for anyone mm. listening who, wasn't around in those times to kind of to explain quite how yeah. impactful that haircut was right and you know you're talking about it as a sign of the times but but ultimately she well you know linda her whatever they were the people and particularly her influence that that set that right like you are responsible for what ended up being the hair trend of that entire decade did i mean i suppose i don't really have a question more just like oh that must be insane um yeah, I don't think of it like that. that. No, yeah. because I, I was constantly trying to, oh, come on, let's grow it again. Yeah. Let, let's slick it back mm. for this one and just change it. And we did start growing it again a mm. couple of years, you know, further on. But um, well, it's kind of amazing. Listen, it's not a bad It's amazing, thing. yeah, it's, great. it's pretty good. Cool. Yeah. In retrospect, yeah. yeah. At the time, you just don't think like I'm that. I'm sure, I'm sure. Um those seven years, I mean, you were with her for some of her most iconic moments. Yeah. I mean, can I ask about the Taj Mahal? That photo. Yeah, well, do you know, that that was amazing because the Taj Mahal didn't have any tourists that day. It was all sort of cordoned off just for her mm. and us. And those kind of things were just, I mean, pretty amazing mm. to, to, to be a part mm. of that. It was incredible. And But on the on the flip side of that, she took me to Mother Teresa's in Calcutta. She didn't travel with a huge entourage. I was going to ask, yeah. There was no entourage. And it was 20 minutes to do her hair in the morning. Mm. It, was all, it was all very, it, she wasn't high maintenance. Mm. She, and I remember, said, I, so the Mother Teresa thing, you know, I'm with her and sitting talking to lepers. And, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a room full of, incubators full of abandoned babies and there's kind of five of them each in per incubator and these babies are cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O-N-E-R-O. L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. 
wrapped in the most beautiful Indian sari cloth. Mm. Like so, they all looked like little quality strip <laughs> things. And it was just it was the most Magic. moving. Mm. Yeah, and and talking to the women who worked there. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, it was really hardcore for me, kind of unexpectedly. But she, she had that natural sort of um, empathetic, caring thing that nurses have. Mm. You know, she just had that instant thing that made people um, feel totally at ease straight mm. away. And she knew how to use that and mm. bring good to people, bring their attention. And she wasn't phased by any of it, mm. which... I was hiding behind a pillar <laughs> half the time in tears. And another thing she took was one of the newsreaders had set up a, a limb fitting centre in a refugee camp on the Afghan border oh. and um, in the northern Pakistan. And Pakistan is one of the most beautiful countries I've ever been to in my life. And so we went there and I thought, why do we, do we have to go mm. to this? She's like, you kind of need to come so you see what I do so mm. and that, I thought that was really clever and mm. really important so we weren't just I wasn't just doing the hair yeah. and having a day off yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. by the pool I I was part of that mm. experience and you know seeing kids with their legs and arms blown off and and they were there getting new arms and legs and she was drawing attention to that and and that was really powerful mm. and she did she meant it it was not a token gesture mm. she meant it mm. and um yeah, just being a having the having the honesty, having the luck mm. to have met someone like that mm. and being a being a part small cog in that mm. wheel was was that's uh, I will be forever grateful for that. Yeah, it's I mean it's a the ultimate blessing, I suppose, isn't it? Any career can be many versions, but to have one that can then take you into areas of meaning, I guess, is what I'm getting at. So to be able to have that that depth. And areas do. of influence that mm. you, can't, you didn't really intend. Mm. It, it just, you know, just unfolded happened. like mm. that. Yeah, I, I think I've been really lucky in in the huge, wide variety of incredible people that mm. I have met that if I'd been... There's not many other jobs that put you in situations mm. like that. Because it's quite a close... It's um, intimate, right? you're in, It's quite intimate. Mm. You know, you, you are... You are seeing each other, mm. you know, at five or six o'clock in the morning. Mm. At not just your clients most vulnerable, mm. but your own most vulnerable. So it's mm -hmm. so it has to it has to gel mm. and you can actually get so much out, so much more than doing hair mm. or makeup. You, you get it's much more than that. Mm. It's it's um it's it's precious, you know, and and you you kind of you you develop a trust. Yeah. You you have to, you know. Mm. We did something with Lisa Eldridge recently who was saying that when you're on set, you are a therapist, a mother, yeah. a sister, yeah. a friend, a counsellor, a parent, blah, 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 and the list goes on and that's yeah. anything yeah. new. That's, yeah. that's the you're, part. Well, you're also that... a bag carrier and a driver right. and, yeah, you're all those things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, were you with Princess Diana until her death? It's a few months before, yeah, mm. yeah. 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 So what did you do... After that, what what came in the late nineties for you? In the late nineties, um, well, I continued with what I was doing. Mm. I mean, I was I, it, 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 I, it was a very, it was. I mean, I can totally empathise with Harry and William mm. because, I mean, I took it really bad. I'm sure, and because it was so public, you couldn't get away from it. Yeah. So for those little boys, uh, that must have been 
which is unthinkable, really. You know, we will we will never understand the depth of that. Mm. And 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 so I can I I watch those young men now and think, wow, mm. yeah, what, yeah, what a thing to go through. Mm. The, 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 not only the the death and the the, the kind of brutality of it, mm. but the the public aspect mm. of it. You know, yeah. Um, after that, I. I started spending a bit. I, I kind of, I, I kind of been in New York for a while, and I started spending a bit more time in London. I mean, I was always backwards and forwards. Sure. I was never fully living in mm. New York. It was, it was a kind of, um, never really had had a roots. Mm. Um, came started working again in London, and and I started working with a photographer called Nick Knight in the late nineties, and then spent the good part of 20 years creating the most incredible iconic images not just with nick but i, I kind of went you know fully into into fashion world and um have been doing that ever since yeah it's an i'm sure impossible question but can you i mean i won't ask you to name one but are there a couple of shoots that spring to mind as particularly special ones you're particularly proud of particularly iconic what do you, mm, what what kind God, of jumps into your mind? Well, I've done about forty covers of Vogue with mm. Kate mm-hmm. Moss, and I, I knew who you meant. Yes, yeah, and, <laughs> that uh, one, that um, game <laughs> with Kate. I've done, and and some of those are really, really, really beautiful. There's one I used as a cover for my book, and it, it was never intended to be used. The image of just Nick Knight asked Kate to sit on set, do a profile, and he lit it in a kind of cameo silhouette. And it ended up being on a, the millennial cover of Vogue with a gold background. But it was just it was just a kind of, oh, I wonder what would happen mm-hmm. there. It was, a, it was a moment. And uh, we we went through every conceivable cover for my book and then we kept coming back to this image. And the hair is, it's not particularly hair with the image. It's just a nice, easy silhouette hair. And uh, so that's that's one of my favourites, I guess. Mm, you know, I've got such a great history with Kate, mm. and and it was important that I had Kate on the cover. You know, yeah. So sense. and I think that one was it was unusual, mm. it was unexpected. Mm. So that's that's got to be one of my favourite ones. Yeah. Um, I guess. <sighs> oh no, I don't know. There's so <laughs> many to choose from. So many. Some of the stuff I did with Lady Gaga is kind of amazing. She was she was extraordinary to work with. Mm. Um, and I met her probably about 10 years ago on a shoot. And then Nick and I went on to do quite a lot with her over the, over a couple of years. And th- th- there's one particular shoot where she, we, we only had a couple of hours to shoot. And it was myself, Val Garland and Nick. And we were in Nick's, t- Nick had a tiny little studio at the time with a little sink about that size in the corner. And, she decided, Gaga decided she wanted to be a man in the in the picture. Okay, let's do it. get the black gel out. Da, da, da. So um, we did that really quickly. There are amazing pictures of her as her alter ego, Joe, Joe Calderon. <laughs> and um, we did them all in about two hours. And she had a hair full, a head full of black gel, which we had to wash out in the, the <laughs> little dirty old sink before she got on a plane. But she, again... It's those people who are just up for anything that kind of win me over. That, that with they have no fear. Mm. They get the job done and they get it done really well. Mm. What's your favourite type of? I mean, I guess maybe you just answered it. But your favourite type of client is it someone who says carte blanche, 
or is it someone who wants to be really experimental? What is, what's like the dream scenario? I think my favorite person is someone that I really get along with. Mm. Someone who I know I can develop a, a mutual trust and respect. I mean, recently I've been working a lot with Jodie Comer, who mm. I adore. And um, we, we, you know, we, we, I think you just hit it off with people. Yeah. And so, because sometimes our job demands really theatrical hair and makeup mm. and sometimes it's nothing. And I think it's, it's being with someone who understands that collaboration mm. aspect is my dream probably. Mm. Has there been a low point? A low what, point. Luckily, do you know what? Touch wood. Low point. Or what have been the biggest challenges, I suppose? What, you know, it all sounds like a dream. So what's yeah. what's been tough in that journey? Oh, God, there's challenges all the way through. Mm. I mean, moving to New York with no agent, no apartment, that was, I wouldn't say it was tough. I mm. wouldn't say it was, it, it was just, it was just something I did. Low points. That's a hard one. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I've been very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Great. I yeah. mean, that's what we like yeah. to hear. Yeah. It's better than the old engine. Yeah, wood. touch that wood. Damn right. <laughs> is that wood or is it just <laughs> no, It's probably plastic. Touch your head and say it's much safer. You've now evolved. I mean, there's the book. There's the product line. We were chatting about this before. I told you, I love your hair mask. I love your shampoo. I mean, it's all great. Where Was it just like the next obvious natural step? Well, I'd been consulting for years with different brands, mm. you know, with L'Oreal, with P&G, with, you, know, you name mm. it. And so I had started, I'd, I'd had an idea for some products and we started thinking about that. And then I was approached by Somerset House to do an exhibition. So Somerset has staged a huge retrospective ex- exhibition of my work in 20, it was 2016, but we'd worked on it for five years. Wow. Um, what, what takes five years in that process? Uh, a naive question. Editing, um, getting permission to use images, uh, doing the book and the exhibition at the same time Got was cha- that, that was That's challenging. Mm. Yeah, it was challenging. It was challenging, but it not. I mean, a lot of people have a lot bigger challenge than I have. Sure, but um, things things can be challenging without being bad. Yeah, but but having said that, every day is a challenge in sure. what we do. Every, mm. you, you, there's so much pressure to 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 get that shot yeah. so that, that's a challenge for everyone mm. you know um what am i saying now uh, yeah book and exhibition yes. so that was 2016 and i kind of we, we were kind of almost ready to go with products because we'd been working on them for a few years and then uh somebody said just drop the products for mm. now just do the book and the exhibition because you will be overwhelmed mm. and i'm glad we did so after the exhibition 2017 we finished developing our products um, and we launched four dry styling products uh, because I was finding everything on the market was heavy. I couldn't brush it out. And backstage it shows we sometimes have to do five different looks in a day or on a shoot, you mm. know, five or six, ten different looks in a day. It was important that products really worked, worked well, worked really quickly and brushed out. And so that's what we did. We did four dry stylers. And at the time, it was a kind of new way of thinking. But there's a reason we did that, because dry stylers are really easy to demonstrate online, whereas shampoo and conditioner, it's mm. a little more challenging. Clever, yeah. And I wasn't up for that challenge. <laughs> but the dry stylers really great Instagram products, you know, mm. and and they worked. So 
we thought we'd do that as a launch, which was very successful. The, the Cool Girl uh, Texture Mist mm. is still our number one seller. I mean, people, that um, is like, you know, whenever we interview hairdressers, <laughs> I mean, that's like the one that everyone says it is, is it's ride or game changing and life changing. Yeah. Um, and then we started to put our next releases into production mm. and a pandemic hit and so it was, it was a couple of years later wasn't it yeah, 2019 mm. and the well our manufacturer went bust right the pandemic hit <laughs> we've run out of money so which these was all my, sound quite challenging which was my money like, by the way. yeah no i was talking about my other career <laughs> okay, sure, sure, sure. this career has been much more challenging Got it. i mean deadlines yeah they're a challenge on their mm-hmm. own uh managing people is a challenge yeah um uh, formulations. I mean, yeah. I think I think the iterations. I think we pay for sort of three or four iterations mm. of our product. Well, one of our products had thirty. Great, Cheap. you know, mm. but we we don't let it go until it's ready. Sure, you know, until it's done. Um, so, so I don't work to those kind of deadlines. If the product's not ready, it doesn't go. I mean, much to everyone else's <laughs> consternation. But we, we, you know, we're okay. But the challenge was to find a new manufacturer and find investment during lockdown but we did it i mean it was really challenging i'm sure that really was yeah that was nail uh, finger mm. chewing off challenging mm. um but we did it we got a great team and it, would, it was only Eamon, my creative director now who's worked with me for 25 26 years mm. and valerie and myself really doing it and and so we had to find we found joel our ceo um and we found some other creatives on the side so and some some Great R and D, you know, we, we mm. built a, we built a small team, and we, <laughs> yeah, and you got there. We got there. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, we're getting there. Got you it. know, I don't I don't think we ever got there. Sure. I think we're getting there. Mm. Every 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 product release, every new product development brings its own challenges. I mean, new product development really brings its challenges, mm. doesn't it? Um, packaging, but the lid's not matching the... Yeah, mm. You know. Do you think you underestimated it before you... No, I knew. knew. I had done I had done a small line before in the 80s, which was... No, it wasn't 80s. It was early 90s, which was sold in boots. I, I kind of knew mm. what I was in for, but I, I... I think after the pandemic, I made a conscious decision to focus more of my time on the products than because it took us two years from our original lease release till to, to, to the second, mm-hmm. um, you know, investment. And because I was traveling and it was dirty, it was sure. so, and I found being stuck in one place in the pandemic was better for business for me, mm, if sense. that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. I was forced into Focused. not canceling meetings. Yeah. I remember Charlotte Tilby told me a long time ago, she said, you're going to have to give a lot of this up. Mm. I'm like, yeah, no, I can do both at the same time. Charlotte was right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it, the pandemic it was a good time for me to um, pivot. It was a natural window. It was. It yeah. was absolutely. It, it was easy. It, yeah. it seeped into uh, this. And, and then we, we'd we always operated <laughs> out of my house. And finally we got a studio. Actually, no, we always had a small studio. Okay. Which, which all where all the wigs and stuff for shows was done, but we couldn't run a business. From there, mm. but we found we now have an amazing studio, um, which is mainly a photo studio, really, and mm-hmm. a prep studio. Mm. So we can shoot and we can do this kind of thing mm. 
all the time if we want. And and that's been great. Mm. And I absolutely love it. Do you? So oh my, that, God, my next I question. I love it. Gonna, I absolutely yeah. love it. Because I, I think maybe my old work maybe wasn't challenging enough mm. or in you, my or, old age. I was going to say, is it, it became... It became less challenging, sure. yeah. yeah. And, mm. and the, you know what it's like in a studio. There's a lot of downtime, mm. and I found I wasn't able to cope with that so yeah. well. And I didn't want to try. I was away six, seven months of the year mm. before, and I didn't want that anymore. Um, and, yeah, so I've just thrown myself into it, as, mm. as I always do. Mm. I think that's the only way to do it. It's yeah. the only way to do it. And 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 if you're ever thinking about doing your own business, I had a, I had a meeting with an f- old friend of mine this morning who started... Who's, thinking about starting a own business, just do it. Mm. Just do it. Just don't, don't talk about it mm. anymore. Just do it. Yeah. That's exactly what our founders advice yeah. always is. Yeah. MVP and just, just do it. it. Yeah. What's the hope for you, for the brand? What's the, is there an end goal? Is there a vision? Global domination. Okay, yeah, that's Absolute what I like to hear. Yeah. global domination. Yeah. I mean, I think if we're going to do it, we're going to do it really well. Good for you. Yeah. 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 Okay. So yeah. onwards and upwards. Onwards and upwards. Okay. Always. Um, can you tell me about the MBE? When was that? Uh, well, that was, that was last year. Um, yeah, I was in Australia on a shoot mm. with Kate Blanchett, as you do, <laughs> um, and I was on set mm. and I got an email from my PA because a letter had arrived and she'd opened it, and um, but I couldn't tell anyone. Mm. Oh, and right, I was on set say. kind of... <laughs> I, don't, can I, I, I can't tell anyone. And that was just before Can Christmas. Can you not tell anyone? No, I couldn't tell anyone. No. I didn't want to tell, because I, I mean, you're told not to tell anyone. Sure. And I'm quite good at doing what I'm told if I'm being told by a teacher or a policeman. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was quite authoritative. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, um, so I didn't tell anyone. Mm. And... I didn't even tell my family until wow. they saw it in the paper on New Year's Oh, Eve. wow, did you really yeah. not? No, I didn't. I think if my mum had still been alive, I'd, I would have told yeah. her. Yeah. And, um, yeah, well, that was kind of, that's nice, you know. I mean, that, 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 sure. that was nice. That was kind of, mm. that was a nice, pleasant surprise and a pleasant um, thing to do. What so is it I'd, What is it? services to, services for? To fashion and beauty, fashion which beauty. I which I loved because I'm not just beauty. I'm no, very I'm much fashion mm. And beauty, so mm. that that was kind of that meant a lot to me. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. it's nice to be recognised from from no, you know, you, I've got a few awards from my peers and things, but actually to, to get that recognition from the establishment mm. for someone in uh, as a hairdresser yeah. is, is is kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah. I get that. I, yeah. Yes, I, I think yeah. you do yourself a disservice, but I hear what you're saying. No, yes. but I no, mean, but, that, that, listen, there's so many people out there far, far more deserving of me, but somebody had obviously spoken up for me. So <laughs> fine, I'm not going to refuse it. No, Absolutely fine. No, it was amazing. I mean, I have to say Princess Anne gave it to me. Mm. And I was one of, I think, 73 or 74. I was seven, oh, second gosh. last I was. Well, they do that many in a day. She never wavered. Yeah. Oh my God, she was amazing. She was extraordinary. Stuff, she chatted to me like she had just, you know, started. Yeah. And oh, that, that is that yeah. is that is no mean feat. I think you know? in, until you, this this sounds high fluting. I met Prince Charles once when I was fifteen, and he came to my school. So this isn't this is not yeah. a. But I think until you meet the royals, yeah. you don't realise quite how incredible they're because they make damn small talk all day, don't they? And they're damn good at it. It's hard work. Yeah, it's really. I mean, hard it's work. extraordinary. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm a fan. King Charles, I should say. King um, Charles, King yeah. Charles, not really. He was prince at the time. I can't let you go without asking about hair. Go on. I'm sorry. What is your number one? What's, what is the question that people ask you most about hair? 
you think I should have a fringe? <laughs> <laughs> and what's your answer generally? No. It's, should no one no. really just avoid? No, I don't know. <laughs> no, people, people ask peculiar questions to themselves. Very you know, specific. It's very, very, very specific. Yeah. And quite often people say, oh, do you think I should cut it off? Mm really short well I don't know I don't know you mm. I, I've just met you and I don't know how you live I mm. don't know if you're, you're going to put some time into it so I think people people are really really interested in what to do with their hair because people generally don't know mm. whereas with makeup or with skin I think women have a better knowledge of their own face because mm. hair is a different material yeah it's, it's, it's almost like an alien material mm. to some people and people don't know if is something would suit them or not. So they're looking for a bit of an affirmation. Mm. But my answer is always, you know what? If you just do it mm. and it's, it'll grow back. It it, the brilliant thing is about it is yeah. it will grow back. And if you cut it short, you'll have an adventure growing it back. Mm. But if it's going to really traumatise you, don't. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's um. Gen- know. Generally, I think people think something dramatic is going to... It'd be a sort of life-changing mm. thing from that. And sometimes just the hair change can be even more traumatic. So I think the best thing to do is do like a small tweak, a small, like a change of parting to the side, razor a few layers around the edge, mm. and that's easy to grow out, change the colour a little bit, put a few blonde bits around it. I don't know, make it <laughs> blunt across the bottom, mm. take a few. In. Just do a little tweak mm. that's not going to traumatize you even more does that make sense and if you're really up for it mm. yeah go ahead cut it off yeah. really short they do always say don't make a major hair decision when you're going through another major life no people I, always I, want to like have a haircut when they get divorced don't they you know you've got to you, they yeah, say because you wake up in the morning with short hair and still a divorce exactly right yeah yeah <laughs> no, no one wants that um what what is like the ultimate hair care rule like if you could give everyone one rule one tip for looking after their hair what would it be three c's Cleanse, mm. condition, mm. and care, which is a three-step thing. It's condition, mask, and shampoo. Mm. And I wouldn't necessarily do all those. I wouldn't necessarily do a mask and condition at the same time. Mm-hmm. But if you have these those three in your arsenal mm. in the bathroom, the mask once a week, it's, it, it's all about hair care. Mm. And then the styling will be much easier. You, and, and it's about cleansing the styling products out of your hair and not leaving them in too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of all, it's about the condition of your hair. Mm. You need to look after it because mm. it is a fragile material. I mean, it's tough, mm. but it's only to take a certain amount of abuse from mm. from, from heat. Mm. So it's that plus use um, uh, heat protection starting yes. product. Any advice for really damaged hair? How do you bring back your hair health or how do you think is best to bring back hair health? Uh, that, that's, that's to do with masks and that's to do with also use styling products that are gentle but work mm. so lots of styling products now we have a we have a, a couple that do really well for us are um uh one's called happy endings and they are gentle on your hair they're they're sort of hybrid mm. um care and styling and i think all our styling products are formulated to not damage your hair mm-hmm. you know and we have we, our hairspray is amazing it has really good heat protection in it it's dry, it brushes out. I use it to set it on tongs or hot rollers or whatever um, because of the heat protection value mm. and it holds and it shines and it does. Multitasking products are the way forward. Got it. I mean, I, I could talk to you forever, but I'm going to let you go. I just, I was going to ask you what's left on the bucket list 
there's global domination with the brand, of mm. course. Anything else? Is there any is there any other box you feel you haven't ticked? We have one thing that if it touches and wood again, <laughs> if it comes off, it's gonna be amazing next mm. year. Well, I can't tell you about that. Okay. Very exciting. <laughs> and I mean Personally, I just got myself a puppy, and I would I, I would kind of wonder about um, maybe moving to the country and with some land and really, really creating the most incredible garden. Because I have an amazing garden in London, but it's a you know it's a big rectangle, yeah. and that's all it's ever going to be. But I wonder if I could have a little bit of land with an orchard, because I get a lot of inspiration for the garden from the colours of the products to the ingredients mm. and, and just to 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 kind of just vi- visually the shapes and forms really inform mm. my work so it's it's not just there for decoration mm. i kind of immerse myself and i grow my own food obviously not all of it um, <laughs> um i don't grow my own bacon sandwiches no no no, no. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense to me i think to anyone that Gardening and hairdressing would have a kinship. Yeah. I, I mean, that. they both grow. Yeah. You cut them down, mm. they grow back. The colours are amazing. The forms, the shapes. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And finally, you've done a lot of you've done a lot of great hair. Is there anyone who's who you haven't had in that salon chair who you still would really like to get your hands on? Oh God, that's a that's a hard question. I, I, I don't really think like that. I mean, you feel like, but you feel I, like also you've probably done most. Well, there's a lot of people I haven't done, but I don't. I'll take whoever um, I'm given. It's Mm. fine. I would have liked to maybe uh, had a little go at the Queen's hair at some point. That would have been that would have been challenging. But my God, that would have been a difficult one, wouldn't it? You know. Yeah, but again, a box tick. I see that. Yeah, (laughs) that might have been challenging. (laughs) That might have been challenging. There we go. We'll have found a a tough day at the office. Um, Sam, thank you so much. Where can people buy your products? Where can they find out Uh, more? They can go to us at samweeknight.com or they can go to Selfridges, Liberty, Space NK, Cult Beauty. There's quite a few outlets um it was such a pleasure to talk to you today. lovely to talk to you, you too so thanks much. for having me uh, and thank you for listening if you have any feedback at all please do email podcast at shilax.com we love hearing from you don't forget to rate review subscribe and tell your friends and we'll see you next time bye hey everyone it's jen and jess from the beauty podcast fat mascara here to talk about sol de janeiro so many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face one of our favorite ways to do that is with sol de janeiro's beige flor elastic cream a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks plus it's scented with sol de janeiro's charosta 68 fragrance sol de janeiro is offering you 10 percent off your first order on sol and free shipping with the code acast 10 that's s-o L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off.